chapter 1, verses 67 through 69, or you can take the scriptures that are there in your sermon program, in the, in the bulletin. Please take it out so that you can follow along with me this morning in our study together. There are three great songs at the beginning of the book of Luke. Of course, the most famous is Mary's song. And in Latin, what is that called? That is called the Magnificat. And then later on, there is this little song by the old man Simeon. And if you know Simeon, you have to love Simeon. And he holds the baby Jesus in his arms. And Simeon's song was named in the Latin in the Middle Ages as the Nunc Dimittis, Lord, let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. But the third great song is our text for today that the Generos family read for us, Zechariah's song. And in the Latin, at the very beginning, it reads, Benedictus Dominus, may the Lord be blessed. Blessed is the Lord of Israel. Blessing. It's the song of blessing. You remember the story, I hope, of Zechariah, the old priest, and his aged wife, Elizabeth, and they never had any children, though they prayed and prayed for children. So God sends the angel, Gabriel, to speak to Zechariah. And as Zechariah is in the temple, Gabriel addresses him and says, Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God to prepare the way for the Lord. Who will that be? John the Baptist. But Zechariah is skeptical. Do we have any skeptics in this room? Zechariah is skeptical. How can this be? Look at how old I am. Have you seen my wife? But I'll tell you something. Gabriel is the archangel who stands in the presence of God, and he is not accustomed to skepticism when he speaks. So Gabriel says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And he is annoyed. And he says, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things come to pass because you did not believe my words. And Zechariah is instantly struck mute. His vocal cords will no longer vibrate. He's unable to speak, and he comes out silent. Nine months pass, and Elizabeth indeed does conceive and give birth to a son. And on the eighth day at the child's circumcision, the crowd gathers in the temple for that beautiful ceremony as the child is initiated into the covenant. And what do they do? They give him the sign of the covenant, circumcision, as we give the sign to our children of baptism. But they, they circumcise him that day. 
and it's time to name the boy. And so they say, well, his father's not able to do it. We'll do it. And some said, let's call him Zechariah after his father. And Zechariah begins to tremble, and he grabs a tablet, and he writes in Aramaic in big letters, his name is John. And suddenly, his vocal cords are unleashed. And we are told that Zechariah is now a man of faith. And he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to sing what we call the Benedictus, the blessing of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want us to revel this morning, just in the first few verses, at this explosion of the Christmas gospel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed His people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. And as we begin to dig into this text, I want us to grasp something very important. This is really critical for us, church, as we read the Bible and, and as, as there are some things that are even occasionally difficult to understand in the Scriptures. How do we understand the great spiritual realities that are ours in Jesus Christ? And you'll notice that uh, this is a prophecy about what God is doing right now and what He will do in the future, and yet He speaks about it in the past tense. What's with that? The visitation of God, the redemption of God, the victory of salvation of God in the mind of Zechariah and in our minds, indeed, they have happened in the past, are present realities for us now, and will come to the fullest expression in the future. And what is this called? My friends, this is called the already not yet, of the gospel. And this is important for us to comprehend when we occasionally are confused about the delay and, and I know my Redeemer lives, but my life is a mess. And it is important for you to understand the already, not yet, of the work of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in this? This is point number one. And both of these should energize you in the way that you live. You see, the writers of the New Testament were very comfortable with expressing the work of Jesus Christ in both the already and the not yet. For example, has Jesus been crowned with glory and honor? Hebrews 2, 9 tells us, it says, right now, Jesus, we see Him crowned with glory and honor. He has ascended into heaven. And so right now, the writer tells us there that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, in Hebrews 2, 8, and 9, God is putting everything under subjection under His feet. And yet, He says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. And so there is the already... And there is the not yet. Zechariah uses the word, he redeemed his people, redemption. And the apostles wrote a lot about our redemption. What do you think of when you think of our redemption? It's already here. Ephesians 1.7 puts it in the past. In him we have redemption through his blood. If you are in Jesus Christ... You have 
been redeemed. Those old spirituals, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And yet, Paul, in a couple chapters, is going to say in Ephesians 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And redemption is going to happen in a monumental fashion in the future. The same thing is true for our adoption. Stay with me here. Have you been adopted as a child of God? Paul says it already happened. He says, Romans 8.15, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And if ever in your heart you believe that God is your heavenly Father, you received that spirit of adoption. And yet a couple verses later, Paul says in Romans 8.23, and he's talking about the groaning that we still have. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Do you see? There is an already not yet in the Scriptures. And Zechariah is the picture of a man who is full of faith. And, and I believe his words in the past tense in many ways or in the past, they represent the past tense for us. Jesus cried from the cross, it is what? It is finished. The battle is won. And yet, the Bible says, we still wait. We are waiting for the full redemption. Why? Because there is not yet the full collection of the elect into the church of God. The people are still coming, and God is drawing them in. So, point number one, live your life with a sense of the already. God has said to you, I am at your right hand. I uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear. And believe what is yet to come. I am coming back for you. You are mine. Now, as we dig Back further into the text, notice point number two, Zechariah tells us that God has visited His people. And the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is characterized as a visitation. That's an interesting word. You don't often think of the work of God as a visit. But think about it. The Bible is filled with visits from God. Moses stumbles across the burning bush. God visits Moses in the burning bush. As Israel wanders in the desert, they have a tabernacle that God had them build. And the Shekinah glory of God, whoosh, comes down and fills the tabernacle with His glory. God visits and dwells in the midst of His people. And on that day when Solomon dedicates the temple in Jerusalem, the great temple of the living God, as he prays, again the Shekinah glory comes and descends. God visits His people in Jerusalem and is there in their midst. And when Israel rebels and rebels, God visits rebellious Israel. How? He visits them with judgment. He visits them with the arm of Babylon and Assyria. And often the word visitation refers to the judgments of God. 
and God scatters His people into exile. But you know what? Then God visits His people in Babylon and Persia. And as He promised, He gathers them back and brings them home. And through the prophets, promises to meet them again with a Savior, a Messiah who will come. And now Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, his vocal cords moving again. Zechariah says, now is the time. And his son, John the Baptist, says, now is the time. And it will not just be an ambassador from God. It will not just be the strong arm of judgment from God. It will not just be the angel of the Lord. But He Himself will visit His people. God with us. Emmanuel. And He comes. Oh, my friends. Will they be ready? Will they receive Him? At the end of His ministry, there is this tragic moment as Jesus, before the Passion Week begins, Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and He says in Luke 19, when He drew near and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. In our tortured city of New York, in our tortured world around us, what makes for peace? Better legislation? A better armed police force? We're glad to have our, our officers, and we're glad to have our armies. We are most blessed of the nations of the world, I do believe that. But, oh, my friends, what makes for peace? the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he weeps because these things are hidden from your eyes because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you know? Do you know the time of visitation? And it's not just in the world. It's personal. Real personal. Jesus says in Revelation 3, verse 20. Do you know this verse? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and be with him. The visit, the visit of Jesus is not just to the world, but it is to you. Do you hear him today? When I was a boy, and we would visit my grandmother, my grandmother was a very pious woman. And before every meal, I don't care, restaurant, wherever you go, we had to stop. And she would fold her hands and she would pray first in Slovak and then in English. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. 
unto us this food be blessed. Why would she do that? Why would she choose those words? Because she knew that Jesus visits his people, and she wanted Jesus to visit her family, and she wanted Jesus to rule in her heart, and she welcomed him. And you know, a lot of people did they would clean their houses in the spring, right? A lot of us, we do spring cleaning. And that's that great time when the windows are open and the carpets are beat and everything is cleaned up. But not my grandmother. Oh, my grandmother loved a clean house. But you know when she cleaned the house? At Christmas. In the Yenchko family, we clean the house at Christmas. Why? Because someone is coming. Someone will visit. Who is the one who comes? Who is the one who visits his people? It's Jesus. I'll never forget that. Zechariah tells us God visits his people. You don't have to be a preacher to appreciate this. this and, uh, uh, the kicker is this. God not only, visit, not only visits you personally but he visits other people through you. Have you ever thought about this? Whenever you share your faith in Jesus Christ with someone else, God is actually visiting them through you. Do you believe this? This is extraordinary. And like I said, you don't have to be a preacher to do this. Not too long ago, I I, you've seen this little tract. Have you ever wanted a New Life tract that I wrote and we put it in the bulletin sometimes? And I'm sitting with a skeptic in my office and he says, well, explain this gospel to me, this good news to me, and we read out loud the tract. Now, what highly educated man in the 21st century is going to get converted by reading a tract? But someone was knocking I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. But someone was knocking that day, and we got to the end, and there's a little prayer in the back. And, and I said to him, I wonder, do you sense that the Lord is opening your heart and wants to come into your life and forgive your sins and make you new? My faith was about as big as Zechariah's was. And he said, Yes, John, it's time. He opened his heart, and Christ came in and visited him and took up residence there. His heart became Christ's home, and he's been baptized, and he's growing in the life of this church in wonderful ways. Sometimes it's just simple. You, you share your faith over lunch with someone Draw out the cross on a napkin and show how Jesus bridges the gap between the holy God and the sinful person. It's that simple. Sometimes it's very dramatic. Pastor Tay and I last year, remember we went to Benin. If you ever wonder how Jesus visits in strange ways, and some of you know, one day Parfait drove us to the capital of voodoo, Dahomey. And we went through Dahomey, we saw the voodoo hotels there, and, and then he drove us out into the jungle, miles on this new road that had been built by the United Nations to nowhere, 
And then he stops and he parks in the middle of the jungle. He said, there's a path over that hill. We go over the hill, down the path, about a mile in nowhere, and there's a village. And he asks for the leader of the village, and he says, we would like to come and pray for a blessing on this village in Jesus' name. We have this guest here. We'll do that. And he points to me. We go into his hut, and it is swarming with flies. Mm. And the man makes us wait while he goes and does his voodoo. And then he comes in and sits down. And Parfait says, these men are from Jesus Christ, and I have just asked them to pray for a blessing upon you in Jesus' name. This was not time for a sermon. This was not time for a big uh, tract being translated. This was just pray for a blessing in Jesus' name on this man. And we did. And he was so happy. He was so excited. He, now the stage was set for Parfait to return and to preach the gospel to him. And I know that he's done that. And as we walked back down that path, Parfait said, you know, he said to me, you are the first white man who ever came into this village. Now, that has nothing to do with the gospel, but it was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary moment. I don't know if that's true, but I had this sense that Jesus was visiting this dear man who'd never heard the gospel before. He visits Has he visited you? For some of you, he's been knocking for an awfully long time. And the heart can be stubborn. The heart can be resistant. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He visits, but I'll tell you why this is so important. It is because of the not yet. For there is still another visit to come. And when is that visit? That visit is on the great day of the Lord, what is sometimes called the great and terrible day of the Lord, when Jesus returns. And Christian, for you, John says in 1 John 2, 28, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. So we Christians, we are to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ, that great visitation. But Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, you see it there in your outline, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and on this day no one will be skeptical of Gabriel. I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how proud, how rich, how beautiful you are, how wealthy you are, how successful, how great you see yourself. It doesn't matter. On that day, on that day, every eye will see Him. Every mouth will be stopped. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. The ancient prophecy of Daniel is fulfilled here. Daniel said, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, 
and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Christians, Christians, we get ready for the visitation of that day because of the visitation that came in Zechariah's day. And why did he come? Zechariah tells us in the very next word. He has visited and has, here it comes, point number three, redeemed his people. And if you're our guest today, uh, you'll find I don't need to say a whole lot about what it means to be redeemed because we just finished studying the book of Ruth together as a church family. And that book is filled with the doctrine of redemption, with the way God uh, buys back and cares for his people. And Boaz, you remember, he was the redeemer. And that word often refers to the redemption of a person, one person. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But in the Old Testament, this word is not merely used of a person. Sometimes it is actually used of the nation or the people of God. And the whole nation is redeemed. And that is what Zechariah has in mind here. Here he's talking about the redemption of all the people of God. And this word means to liberate, to set free those in bondage. And so the mind of Zechariah, again, you just study this great song. It's got 16 Old Testament allusions to it. And the mind of Zechariah goes back to Exodus 6, verse 6. As God says to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. You see, it's the whole nation that is redeemed. And, and King David, when he prays in First Chronicles 17, he says, And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be His people, making for yourself a name for great and awesome things. What is that? He's talking about the salvation of His church, His people. First, His old covenant people, but with the coming of Jesus Christ, the new covenant opens it wide to the world. And Peter writes to the churches, Gentiles and Jews, slaves and and free, males and females, high and low. And he says, you are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And in the next chapter, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, the echo of of, of Exodus 6 and of 1 Chronicles 17, but you are a chosen race, church, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Are you one of those people? If you're not sure, Zechariah in his song of faith explains it a little bit more. For he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he comes, this is the fourth point, he comes as the horn of our salvation. What is this horn? You know, on Wednesday night, we're hiring a trumpet player, one of the best trumpet players in the New York area to be with our band. I always love it when we do that. 
This is not the kind of horn. He's, ta- he's not talking about the instrumental horn here. He is referring here the way the Old Testament uses the word dozens of times about the horn of the wild ox. There were no tanks 3,000 years ago. There were no motor armored vehicles 3,000 years ago. The greatest, most fearsome uh, uh, beings were the wild oxen. And when the, when the steer with his, with his antlers or his horns, were, when the steer was full of fury and he gored you, it was a display of unmatched strength. And when a predator came at that oxen and he gores him with his horn, that predator does not stand a chance. So, when King David thinks of the Lord in Psalm 18, verse 2, do you see it there in your outline? When David is trying to think of words to describe the way God takes care of him, he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield. Okay, got that? Rock, fortress, shield, refuge. And the horn of my salvation. It is the Lord who defends me. It is the Lord who destroys His and my enemies, you see. And now in the new covenant, Jesus Christ is called the horn of our salvation to destroy His and our enemies. And who is that enemy? What are those enemies? The New Testament tells us. Have you read the New Testament? It tells us your enemy, the devil, seeks to devour you. But 1 John 3 verse 8 tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, okay? That is why Jesus visited. That is how He redeems, is to destroy the work of the devil, And then Hebrews 9, 26, He appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. That through death He might destroy the one who held the power of death, that is the devil. There it is again. And so, my friends, the horn of Jesus Christ has come to disarm Satan and to forgive sin and to break its power in our life. That is what the horn of salvation has done for you and for me. Destroy Satan and disarm the guilt and the power of sin in our lives. Hmm. Near the end of the song that was read for us, Zechariah tells us the goal of all this. Verse 74 and 75, it's there in your program that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, see, the horn is the thing that does that, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. How do we do this? It's moment by moment. Christian, it's moment by moment. As you open the door to Him who knocks, He doesn't just visit once, you see. You open the door hour by hour. You walk in fellowship with Jesus, receive His strength and His power into your life. I'm not talking about just being nice. Christianity, our our culture is confused. Christianity is not about niceness. 
You won't get to heaven on the judgment day when God says, why should I allow you in by saying, well, I was nice. I tried really hard. I did my best. No. No. Jesus is the horn of your salvation. But then he works his life in you as you open the door day after day. And Paul says in Galatians 2.20, you know the verse, For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith. Zechariah had come to faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, my friends, Merry Christmas. Zechariah's song says, Benedictus, blessing upon you. If today you're ready to open the door for the first time, we're about to sing a song called, There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Blessed, there's the word, Benedictus, blessed, Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. And as we sing the chorus, thank you, O my Father, maybe that will be the moment for you to receive Jesus Christ as we sing it. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son. And every Christian here will sing, and sending your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Let us pray. Our Father... We thank you for your visit to this place today. And we believe that it says where two or three gather in your name, here you are in our midst. You have been with us, and we thank you for that, with our children, with our teenagers, with all of us. And we thank you that your visit to us here has changed our lives because of that visit that day in Bethlehem on the holy night when Christ was born. And he lived his life in perfect righteousness and holiness in a way we could never do. And so he is alone, the Messiah, the Holy One of God. We worship him. We thank you for him. And we open the door of our hearts now and welcome you in. In Jesus' name, amen.